Hello and welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and today I am joined by Dr Ben McConville, the head of GCU's journalism department, to talk about how much the industry has changed over the past two decades and what the future holds. Ben, I am delighted to see you today. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Craig. It's lovely to see you too. Uh, it's nice to be here and um, looking forward to having a chat with you. I, I, I'm really keen to talk about the, the future of journalism and, and where the industry goes after the, the coronavirus pandemic, Ben. But before we do that, to get an idea of what the industry was like, I'd like to talk to you about what it was like in your day. I know you've had quite an interesting background. You've worked for a host of different titles. You've worked in London and New York. Can you tell me, how did you get into journalism? Well, you make me sound so old talking about the old <laughs> days, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I got into journalism uh, while I was a student and I, I joined the student newspaper and discovered that you could have a lot of fun and it was great fun writing and, and, and finding stories and speaking to people and holding people in authority to, to account. So I decided um, as I drifted through a degree in politics and international relations that uh, I was quite keen to become uh, a journalist. So when I graduated. I tried to find a job in journalism in, in Scotland. There were none. So I packed my bag and headed south. So I ended up working in the home counties initially on a local newspaper. And it, it was some time ago, it was 1989. But when I joined, we actually had typewriters. So I, I <laughs> learned how to type quite quickly because it's backbreaking not knowing how to type properly on a typewriter. And uh, uh, I worked on a local newspaper, the circulation of about 40,000, which seemed so little then, but it's That's actually an enormous circulation yeah. these days. Uh, and I loved it. It was just wonderful. I, I remember a friend came down to see me uh, and I was walking along the high street in this in, in a town called Esher, which is in Stockbridge, Poker Belt, Surrey. And he said, it's, it's just like a little village. It's like Trumpton, which was an old TV program from the 1960s. Uh, but that taught me an awful lot about journalism, how to work a patch, how to talk to people, how to be a part of a community, actually. That's a really important part of journalism that people forget, uh, is, is, is to actually be part of something. Yeah. And, and a newspaper, certainly in those days, was absolutely central and essential to that. So that's how I got, that's how I got into it. We very quickly got on to what we called new technology, which is almost laughable now, which is, you know, <laughs> word processing computers. Uh, but the thing I really got out of that is I, I learned how to, to be a journalist and how to report fairly and accurately and how to actually understand why people did things and where they were coming from, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. It was, it, was, it was to be part of something, not to be separate. It was really taught me how journalism is actually fundamentally a, a human experience. And yeah. I say this to my students an awful lot, is that you're not a robot and you're not uh, removed from the, the things that you talk about and the things you report on. You're actually part of the story in some way. During that early period, Ben, was there one particular story that stands out for you that, that really held you in good stead to where you are now? Well, what happened to me a lot, actually, is because I had a, a degree in politics and because it was in Stockbroker Belt, Surrey, uh, we used to get a lot of uh, cabinet ministers from the, from the Thatcher government <laughs> and the major government come down to speak to us. So uh, I noticed that some of the more senior reporters were really happy to push me in front of um, really senior people and probably, you know, so quite scary people. I mean, I'd, I'd been a journalist for about three or four months when I had to interview Norman Tebbett. 
Uh, and, you know, his reputation preceded him. It was really tough. You know, every question was met with a question. Uh, every, everything was, you know, he, he began to take me apart rather than the other <laughs> way around. He was such an experienced operator. Uh, but those were great experiences. So within short order, I interviewed Tebbit, Jeffrey Howe, the man who was uh, described as being savaged by a dead sheep. He was such a very nice man. Uh, William Waldegrave and a few other of the cabinet ministers of that time. So probably down to the geographical circumstances of that newspaper, I ended up doing lots of really interesting political stuff really early on. And that really fired me up to want to move to London and get on with uh, reporting in Fleet Street, which was my next move. Yeah, tell me about that, Ben. How was the move from local titles to national titles? Uh, it, was, it, was, I, I, it was really hard, actually. I, I moved from a local paper to a Fleet Street news agency who were real foot in the door, uh, sit outside and doorstep all day and all night uh, a, a, a agency called the National News Agency. I, I, again, I loved it. But the first, uh, I'd say the first four or five months of that, it was such a leap from local mm-hmm. newspapers international that it, it was hard work, you know, so I really had to, uh, a, not quite a crisis of confidence, but I certainly had to really draw deep uh, in terms of resilience and draw deep in terms of knowing that I could actually achieve these things in order to, to get through it because they really put me through the mill. Um, and that, that was that was ended up being huge fun. I wouldn't say my first few months they were huge fun, mm-hmm. but I ended up covering lots of different royal stories and lots of different kind of murder stories, uh, the High Court in London, the, the Old Bailey, going to, walking into the Old Bailey for a proper criminal case, it was, it was just terribly exciting. It was just uh, an amazing time. I would go from working uh, in a court in the morning to interviewing a, a celebrity in the afternoon to doing a, a crime story in the evening. So there were big, long, exciting and exhilarating days where you met really interesting people. Uh, there was one day I was working in a, a council estate in East London, went to a, an event that Princess Diana was at, and then in the afternoon interviewed Arthur Miller. And My goodness, that's of, incredible. I know, and at the end of a day like that, you just feel so excited. A, on days like that, you really understand that you're working in perhaps one of the best businesses in the world, and, and, and it's great fun. It does sound quite challenging. It sounds like you were really taken out of your comfort zone when you're asked to like like doorstop people and, and really get in people's faces. That's right. Um, an interesting thing about journalism, I, I was I was watching an interview with uh, Tom Wolfe, who's one of my journalistic heroes. He's, uh, Tom Wolfe was like one of the great American writers, but first and foremost, he sees himself as a journalist. Mm-hmm. And, and in this interview with um, on American TV, he actually said that journalism was an attitude. Right. And I quite, was quite interested in that. And that plays into the old, the old argument about whether or not journalists are kind of like, uh, born or made, uh, of which <laughs> yeah, institutions like Glasgow Caledonian University kind of like, uh, fall into probably the made category. But there is an argument. Uh, so he talked about this attitude, uh, uh, Tom Wolfe, uh, and the attitude being that you know, that you can present yourself at somebody's door and say, I want information, or you can present yourself at somebody's place of work and say, I want in- information. Uh, and that's true. So there is an element of that. There is an element of nature about journalism, but certainly in classical Caledonian, we are interested in, in also nurturing people to do that. I believe that, I believe that um, people can be taught how to do, uh, to do it. They also need to have these 
innate attitudes uh, as they stand. Interestingly enough, I suppose I've only heard of one journalist who could rock up and do it. Uh, and maybe there are more out there, but I can't prove it either way. But I've only <laughs> heard of one. And that was Ernest Hemingway. Right. So Ernest Hemingway, rather like Tom Wolfe, was a, a, first and foremost was a, a, a news reporter, a journalist, uh, and then went into writing. He joined the Kansas City Star uh, in, in 1917, about the age of 17, 18. And his editor at the time said of him, he didn't stay long, he stayed about two years. His editors at the time said to him, he just rocked up as a fully formed journalist with all the attitudes, all the attributes, all the work. He could just do it. And if you actually, you can see the writing online, you have a look. It's, he does have a really great kind of like turn of phrase. It's all there, all the stuff that you end up seeing in, in his later novels for whom the bell tolls and his, his wonderful collections of short stories about uh, the Spanish Civil War. All of that kind of writing just ticks along from the beginning. But for us mere mortals, <laughs> <laughs> for us mere mortals, we need to just, you know, do a bit of work and, and, and try hard and, and, and really apply ourselves. Uh, and I guess that's what we try to do uh, within our, our journalism programs is ensure that the students learn how to actually become journalists, but also develop those attitudes. That was something I was going to ask you about, Ben. I was going to come on to this later, but it leads quite nicely into it. That is journalism really the, the profession that needs a university qualification? Because if you've got gumption and a good contacts book and you're a half-decent writer, you can make a good career out of it? Sure, that, that is, that is uh, that's true on, on one level. And if you've got the, the contacts mainly, I think the people who do that, and you could probably rattle off a number of uh, journalists who've managed to achieve that, and I would probably say that they would probably have the social standing to be able to do that in any case. But there, there, there is that argument, and, it's, it, and it really is as old as the, as the hills for, for, for journalism, that the old chestnut of, uh, of, of nature versus nurture, okay, you know, can journalism be taught in that sense? Well, I, I believe, and we believe it, it, it can be taught. We, we, there are the kind of Hemingways out there, the guys who just knew how to do it. Um, but we also need to know that you have, what we try to teach at Caledonian is, is that journalists have the intellect and the ability to tell stories, the ability to unpack things. They need to know the reason why they're doing stories and, and they need to also know how to produce and write stories. So we call it a balance between uh, theory and practice. So while we teach the students how to, how to do things such as record a podcast or record a, a, a package for a TV show or a, or, or a radio news bulletin uh, or, or for a newspaper, we're also teaching them why you would do it mm -hmm. and, and, and what basis you would do it. So there are fundamentals. And I think uh, the argument is, is one in America and is still uh, contested in the UK that there are things that we can teach journalism and that journalism is important and that we should take journalism seriously uh, and that we should uh, see it as a subject in and of itself. But I do get people who say, you know, it's not a profession such as being a doctor or a lawyer, but still I believe that there are professional uh, standards and that when I talk about a professional journalist, uh, I talk about a journalist who is adhering to the, the, the norms and givens of uh, journalistic practice. So, for example, being fair, being balanced, uh, in, ensuring that you have all sides of, of the story, 
uh, being unbiased in your reporting. So that's what I would call uh, that, that, that kind of journalist. And, and do, can we teach that? Uh, we sure can and we do in spades at uh, Glasgow Cali. So, so while uh, some of my old colleagues in the, in the journalism world may, may uh, scoff even, I, I believe firmly that we're, that we're doing the right thing and we're doing, we actually are contributing to the common good. Uh, by ensuring that uh, we produce journalists who are adhering to those professional uh, principles. Getting back to your own career, Ben, we mentioned that you moved to New York to work there. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, sure. I, I, I did. I did lots of things uh, prior to that. Um, I, I moved on to the. I moved on to Fleet Street and, and worked for Mirror Group for a while. Um, that was um, about a year after Robert Maxwell uh, died. Um, Fleet Street, the Mirror particular was in a state of flux at that point yeah um, but it was still hugely interesting and, 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 and varied uh, work I, I worked on things like the, uh, the the Fred West House of Horror um, My murders uh, and we played quite a key role in, in, in getting some of the, the, the truth of the story out there that was a, a quite rewarding actually uh, humbling experiences like going to the 20, the 50th anniversary of the DD landings and meeting some of the veterans while there mm. were still wow still, while there were still many of them and, and and they were able to tell their stories so lots of really great and exciting times I, I moved back to Scotland worked at the Scotsman which I loved uh, in the old Scotsman building on 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 on, on Southbridge I'm sorry Northbridge rather uh, and uh, that, that was great fun I worked my way through the Scotsman to become the deputy news editor there. Uh, and then after a while, I had a, a family opportunity to, to get to America and suggested that I would go over and, and work in New York for a while, uh, which they, I'm, I'm grateful that they, were, <laughs> they were able to work that one out. Uh, and worked in, uh, worked in America. And I, I just loved uh, working there. It was 2003. It was a couple of years after 9-11. America, America had, uh, had gone through a lot of soul-searching in that period in yeah. time, I believe. But it was fantastic to turn up and, and, and see New York with its spirit uh, and its kind of determination to get over what had happened to it. Uh, and it was still, all still pretty raw at that, that, that point. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The, the big thing, the word, the word I use most when I describe my career in journalism is in journalism is uh, enjoy. Uh, and that's because it is a, a, it is a great uh, profession to be in. So my stories there, I did quite a lot on, uh, uh, actually on the Scottish diaspora. Um, okay. so, so, you know, there was a lot of interest. The funny thing about America, if you phone up even a random person in Kentucky and say you work for the Scotsman, they know what the Scotsman is. <laughs> you know, they can even, even if they can just work it out, the Scotsman newspaper, they can locate it. But actually, more often, and especially if you're talking to people of Scottish descent, mm -hmm. uh, you were able to uh, work quite quickly, uh, work out quite quickly what was going on. So I did quite a few articles and stories on, on Scottish culture. The one I'm most proud of is uh, a, a story that grew arms and legs and we ended up doing a documentary with Channel 4 on which was on the connections between Gaelic psalm singing in, 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 in Lewis and in various parts of the Western Isles uh, and the black and white churches of the south of America. Wow, that's incredible. So they, do, they do very similar types of, of worship, which is, uh, which is lining out, as it's called in America, or presenting the line in, 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 in uh, the UK or in Scotland. 
Uh, and it was just, it was incre an incredible experience just to be involved in that. And what I liked about that in particular is that there was an American academic called Willie Ruff, who is a good friend of mine now. We, 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 we're in regular contact. He's retired now. But on the back of our story in our chat, he, he did a few symposiums where we were able to bring together congregations from uh, the Back Free Church in Lewis, uh, a black con congregation from Alabama and a white congregation from Kentucky, and eventually an American uh, Indian, uh, Native American uh, congregation from uh, somewhere near Kentucky as well. So there's these like four very disparate sets of people all involved in, in, in a similar form of worship. You know, and you could conclude various things from that, um, but it certainly showed there was a, there was a common humanity um, amongst them. So to be involved in stuff like that was hugely exciting. Are there any big differences between the approach to journalism in the UK and the approach to journalism in the United States? That's right, and I, I based my PhD on that um, because I was really interested in what, what made that tick. So, and uh, without like condensing my my, my, my thesis <laughs> into into four words, as 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 as, as a journalist, I should be able to do. Uh, really, I was I was looking at kind of um, the, the practice, the way that the way that journalism happens. So I ended up looking at commissioning in particular. So, if you work in a British tabloid, uh, so quite often, not always, you can be commissioned on the basis of a headline. The editor will walk up to you one morning and say get me a story and the headline is blah, 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 and you're almost filling in the blanks. So it's very prescriptive. Not all journalism's like that in the UK, but you know, as an extreme version of it. And then when you're in America, the commissioning process says something along the lines of, I'm really interested in this story. And then they'll use phrases like, why don't you shake the tree? So they're actually inviting you, rather than being prescriptive and directive about how they're commissioning you, uh, they're actually more into, you know, explore this and find the truth if you can. Of course, behind that is still their agenda. So if you're not got <laughs> what they're after, there still might be more directive towards you. It's not, it's not, it's not la la land in that sense. They still really want uh, you to to be focused on what they see is the story. But um, in, in essence, that's 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 one of the myriad differences. Of course, the other big difference is that. Uh, uh, what's regulated in each country is really different. So we're very regulated on TV and not regulated for print journalism here and, and online in the UK. In the US, it's quite the opposite. You know, there's TV that's partisan and biased and, 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 and doing it. And it's, to, and it's to print journalists who are trying to adhere to those ideas of professional journalism, uh, like uh, uh, unbiased and objective reporting uh, and a seeking of the truth, whatever the truth might be. <laughs> <laughs> what happened after the United States, Ben? Well, I came back uh, and then I was a foreign editor of Scotland on Sunday for a while and then ended up working for the Associated Press, which is an American news agency, which again formed part of my PhD. And that's where my own experiences of that kind of commissioning or shaped tree happened. And that was great fun as well, because that meant I was now, when I was in America, I was reporting America to Scotland and then I found myself reporting Scotland to America. Uh, which was really interesting, working for the, the Associated Press. So whereas the circulation of the Easter News and Mail, that first newspaper was on, was about 40,000, when you work at the Associated Press, they actually have a readership of one billion people worldwide. So it does kind of focus, <laughs> it does kind of focus the attention when you're kind of like you're about to jump, jump on, the, uh, on the laptop and start writing a story. So you also have to imagine how you could write a story in a way for so many people that makes sense. 
then that is you know one of the arts and crafts mm -hmm. of journalism is to be able to take complicated ideas so in that period of course it was the run-up this is from 2007 up to 13 i worked for ap the associated press and a lot of stuff on uh, the independence movement so it's thinking about the kind of like the nuances and the uh, and the, the various sides of, of, of the independence debate and, and how do you explain that to somebody and i always imagined Sorry to go back to Kansas, so, you know, it's not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing some uh, some kind of Wizard of Oz thing, but I always <laughs> imagined, you know, what would somebody, in, what would somebody in a, sitting at their desk reading a Kansas newspaper, you know, think of this? And I always tried to write along those. But that doesn't mean you're dumbing down. That doesn't mean anything like that at all. It means that you're just thinking about how to articulate things properly for a wide range of people. And the same person, so the same story would be read by people in myriad different languages across the world, through everywhere. You know, there were very few territories that um, the AP were not involved with. So it was really um, that kind of thing. Uh, and when I was doing AP, you know, Donald Trump was trying to build these golf courses in uh, Aberdeenshire. So that gave me lots of material. That was that was that was great fun. And one of the weirder things I did was I ended up interviewing Donald Trump really? in a toilet. Yeah, in, in, in a toilet at uh, the public inquiry into the golf course in 2008. So that was really interesting. I, 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 went, to, I went to the toilet at lunchtime. I thought, this toilet's very quiet. You know, there's nobody in here. And uh, next thing, the door swung open and Trump walked in. And uh, I ended up getting an interview with him, an exclusive in the John, as they say. Uh, at, uh, <laughs> what was he like? Uh, he was actually okay, you know, he wasn't this bombastic kind of person that, that we see now. Mm -hmm. uh, he was more like, if you look at old interviews of him from the 1970s, you'll see somebody's a bit more measured. Uh, and that's the Trump I got. You get, you get, I, I assume you get different Trumps in different situations, and I got uh, the less bombastic one. I got one who was very reasonable. And he actually asked me how he was doing, which was really interesting. He said, how's, how's it going? He'd already given the morning of... Uh, testimony at the public inquiry and so he asked me how I was doing I asked him how he was doing and he said I'm slaying them which is hilarious because the people he was slaying was the RSPB Scottish Natural Heritage <laughs> you know so I ended up with a great line that, yeah. my goodness of course he was just as a number of Donald Trump interviews get shared on social media he was absolutely savaged by HBO's Axios interview with That's right. Jonathan Swan uh, that was just earlier this week so you must have got him on a good day because he was not in good form uh, when he was participating in that interview absolutely not but i think what that interview shows and what a lot of the american uh, media is showing is the importance of journalism it's important of journalism to, to hold the powerful to account uh, and to cut through any any kind of like attempt to 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 um, massage or, or or cover what the reality is and all that that journalist did magnificently was say, look, what is this stuff you're trying to say to us? You've presented us with a lot of facts and figures, uh, but they're not the facts and figures that tell the story. And, and, and that's the kind of stuff that, uh, that's where you know, journalism gets a pretty rough ride at the best of times, but moments like that, you can see the, the worth and value for journalism, for, for the political discourse, but also for the good of people as well. What prompted your move into academia, Ben? 
Um, I kind of uh, fell into it. I have a friend who was teaching a, <laughs> a sociology course at a Scottish university, a rival, I shan't tell you which one. <laughs> uh, and um, she phoned me up one day and said, I've run out of things to say, will you come and chat to my students? Um, and I was just working at um, AP and doing some other freelancing at the time. And I just I turned up and spoke to them and really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the buzz of uh, speaking to those young people. And an hour turned to two and <laughs> and it just really worked and then i did some part-time work so i was working actually um, part-time uh, as a freelance journalist for the associated press and then working uh, part-time and then got a job i got a job at northumbrian university in newcastle which i loved it's a great institution i started a, pro a journalism program there uh, and it just it just it just seemed to for me to fit naturally. I always find it quite interesting because journalists rely on academics a lot and academics rely on journalists a lot to disseminate stories and to, to have a conversation. And quite often there's a lot of tension between the two. Um, and there's a lot of kind of concern and suspicion on, on each party about what the other one is trying to do. Uh, for me, I find that the, the academy and journalism are, are at a fundamental and basic level seeking to do the same thing, which is to uh, ensure that there's a healthy democratic conversation going on in the country and also trying to find the truth. Uh, now, the way in which those happens, are, you know, you could, you, could, you could talk about that until the cows came home <laughs> in terms of which one's right and which one's the right way to do it. But I think that at a fundamental level and some of my colleagues in journalism and some of my colleagues in the academy might disagree with me, we are after the same thing, which is, which is an understanding of the world a basis of truth and a proper discussion uh, about about what things mean and if it's just those three things and everything else goes off in some kind of <laughs> meandering away from each other then so be it but uh, fundamentally to me there's we're after the same things i studied the ma in multimedia journalism at the university between 2011 2012 best year of my academic life I absolutely did. loved my time studying it great fun a lot of hard work but just yeah. tremendous fun and i still all the skills i learned in the course i'm still using in my job with the university i've never left but all of the, the skills i'm still using on a day-to-day -day basis you've mentioned it earlier ben but you're taught how to write for print and online how to shoot and edit video record podcasts record packages for radio what skill set do graduates need to make a success of themselves in the modern industry? The modern industry has kind of like uh, changed a lot since I, since, yeah. <laughs> since those days of a typewriter that I just get, uh, described earlier. But everything's changed and everything has not. So it's really interesting. At, at, at once, the, the technology and the modes of delivery, it's all changed. You know, uh, we, we, we wrote things in a, in, in a newspaper. Uh, we got letters back. <laughs> <laughs> things, things, things took a leisurely pace. Um, it was interesting. We had some interesting correspondence when I was at the Scotsman, you know, who, who managed to write every single day, which was great fun. But um, things have really changed in terms of the delivery of journalism and how we go about journalism and the speed of journalism now. But I, I think that what we, uh, what's important in what we teach at Caledonian is that we have. Um, uh, the fund those fundamentals that I talked about, those fundamental professional attributes that we talked about, remain in place. They are not altered. Uh, the way that journalism uh, is, is delivered is altered. And some of the agonizing that goes on in the industry and the academy kind of focuses on the technology rather than on the on, on, on the reality of journalism, which is which 
means that the, the, the issue gets kind of clouded. I think if you separate, if you disaggregate the, the, the mode of delivery and the requirement and the need for the common good of the country and for democracy to actually adhere to those journalistic principles, then you'll see that things haven't changed that much. So when I talk about this distinction in that program, I'm glad you enjoyed yourself with me <laughs> media journalism. Our students love it. You know, yeah. you know, it's 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 a it's a really intense but fantastic program. Uh, but what we do within that program is that uh, when we separate the theory and the practice, I would say that the theory hasn't really changed that much in terms of the fundamentals of the theory. But the practice has changed measurably. So the way that we, the way that we're teaching the practice has changed. We now teach it on a multimedia basis. You probably won't recognise some of the elements of the of the program now, Craig. I'm afraid. Uh, but hopefully, you know, hopefully the, the theoretical stuff you will you will be very comfortable. With. You will know it. You'll still be able to pass your uh, your, your your government ex your government exams uh, and your national uh, council for the training of journalist exams as well, so the NCTG exams. We're pretty confident that you will, uh, you'll be able to pass all those. <laughs> that's a, a small relief then, a small relief. Yeah. But it's, it's fair to say, Ben, you, you've touched on it there, that, that journalism, it's a bit of a difficult time for the industry at the moment. I mean, just at the start of last month, the BBC announced they were cutting 450 jobs, The Guardian were cutting 180 jobs. The newsrooms across the country are constantly in, in a state of flux. What is the lie of the land for journalism in Britain in 2020? Well, that's a really good question because things weren't really great before COVID-19 yeah. struck. And we are still in, that, in a state of flux. I would say that journalism has been in a state of flux since uh, the Gutenberg press. So we're always in a state. We're always in a state of flux. I mean, the problem at the moment is that we have COVID-19. We have aggressive uh, anti intellectualism and anti-journalism anti yeah. uh, trends within um, some of the, uh, the governments in, in, in the West. There are a lot of things that are, that are going on. Journalism's under attack. It's not done itself any favours in recent years in relation to things like the phone hacking scandal, which was just an abomination. Uh, so there are issues that, that, that are going on. However, Going back to that interview you talked about with Trump the other day and going back to the, the way that uh, people like um, the, the current prime minister of the UK have uh, have been challenged by journalists, you can still see the worth and value of journalism. The economics of journalism is not in a good place. That is for sure. If I knew how to fix it, Craig, I'd be a rich man and I'd, <laughs> and I'd give you a cut. Uh, I don't. Uh, what I do know is how to ensure that we have journalists who are coming into the business who know what they're doing and then more importantly who know why they're doing things at certain times. Uh, so I'm bizarrely, despite all those things, optimistic. I think as long as we adhere to and, um, and strive towards the, the basic fundamentals of uh, good professional journalism, all of those words are contested by the way uh, <laughs> uh, but as long as we can like strive towards those things and as uh, Glasgow Caledonians uh, University's uh, multimedia journalism programs are we have two we have a uh, we have an undergraduate bachelor's BA in multimedia journalism and we have a postgraduate ME in multimedia journalism if we can produce journalists coming out of that who understand and know what those things are about uh, about seeking the truth about finding finding proper good stories, 
then we have a fundamental basis on which to, to do things. But also, you know, this might sound contradictory, we also need good, good uh, journalists who uh, are going out there and working for biased news organisations. They're working for news organisations, and I mean that in the, the closest sense rather than the widest sense. Uh, you know, we need journalists who are advocating for people. Uh, we need journalists who are who, who are politically active. We need journalists who are, are part of the milieu. They're part of the the, the public sphere of, um, of of our democracy. So we can we can help and encourage uh, our students to become those different types of journalists because they all have a place. You mentioned there, Ben, about faith in journalism appears to have been eroded in recent years. And I looked at a YouGov poll from December last year, and it showed that 44% of Britons no longer trust the BBC. Do you believe that to be the case? Do you believe people's trust in journalism has been eroded? Yes. Um, and the, the reasons for that are, are, are multiple. And, you know, the, the big one, I think, was, was the phone hacking scandal and all the other scandals that attended to that. There, were, there, were more, there was more than just phone hacking, it was about paying of public officials uh, and, and, and other elements were, were within it. So um, that was only in one news organization, it was in a number of news organizations in one section of the media. And so, you know, that would cloud everything in that sense. It is worrying that the BBC uh, now has that, um, that, that, that tag on it as well. I have not seen that, um, that particular uh, survey that you, that you talk about, but I'll, I'll take it as read. <laughs> uh, and and, uh, and if, if that is the case, then the BBC has some kind of like soul searching to do. But all news organisations have some soul searching to do. It's, it's, it's really not straightforward. What I will say is that a democracy doesn't need a lovable press and it doesn't need a lovable media. There's a really good American sociologist called Michael Shudson, and he talks, he talks about why democracies need an unlovable press. Now, we're not there to pander to public opinion, although quite often a lot of newspapers do pander to public opinion. And we're not there to be popular, although we'd still need to sell newspapers. You can see how where this is going. It's actually really a complicated uh, issue. We're, we're, we're there to perform a function, and if we are serious about being having journalism set within a liberal democracy, then they need to do that. And as soon as you start, you know, the moment a politician says uh, they're happy with the media, a journalist or the press, then things are not working right. And I'll take you back to my days in the issue news and mail. I got a complaint from the Labour Party for some of my coverage of some of the politics while I was, while I was there. And I'd only been in journalism for about a year and I was in an absolute panic. And I took a letter to my editor. And I said, look, I've had a complaint. And he took one look at it and he said, well done. Make sure the other <laughs> one's complaining. Make sure the other one's complaining at you too. And that is the right attitude, actually. You know, so if, if we, we're not, journalists shouldn't be there to pander to people. They should be there to ask difficult questions and act when they need to on the population's behalf or even individuals' behalf. And the most rewarding journalism often is when you've actually uh, picked up a story where somebody has been wronged by an institution or by another and, you, and you've done something to help and uh, to, to fix that. So, so yeah, uh, I, I, there, is a, there is an issue in terms of uh, where journalism is going. But like I said previously, we, we strive and we, we plug away at ensuring that we produce journalists who can, who can do the right thing. And, you know, a, a journalist or a news organisation role in democracy 
isn't to make anybody happy. And that sometimes that includes the public as well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the public has to hear stuff that they don't like. What about social media? How much has that changed the face of journalism? Oh, in, 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 entirely in terms of the delivery of it, yeah. So it's really, it's really fast, it's really on now. I mean, even when I worked in daily Sunday newspapers, there was, there was none of that, you know, you'd write your story, you'd put it to bed. It was fast moving for its era, <laughs> you, know, you know, you had to get stuff out. I remember fighting with the fellow journalists for, for uh, use of coin-operated phone boxes. <laughs> this was only in the 90s in London, trying to, trying to get stuff out. It's, it was, you talk to your students about this these days and they're like, what? And they think it's so far in the past, and I guess for them, some of them it may be. It really wasn't that long ago where, where Fleet Street journalists were kind of like <laughs> fighting for the only... There was one Crown Court in London, Snaresbrook Crown Court, where there was only one coin-operated phone box and there was none on the street outside. And it, oh my goodness, so, you know, if you went to a story there and other agencies were there, it was a real fun fight. So, but I, you know, now it's like, it's, it's, it's constant. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's a, that's a big ask of the journalists. But again, it has its potential for disaster that, you know, you're, if you put something out that's, that's inaccurate or incorrect, or, um, and you're just working towards simply the, the, the timing of the journalism rather than other things that count. So, so good journalism is all about timing, but it's also all about accuracy and it's all about getting, getting the story right. So it has changed. Um, and we, we, we do a lot of work now on social platforms in the programme. And we talk a lot about responsibilities and yeah. about using social social media platforms correctly. So we now do a lot of what we call mobile journalism, also sometimes called Mojo. Uh, and so th- within Mojo, we, we're actually uh, getting the students to use just a simple uh, smartphone and to learn how to create journalism on the phone that is a good enough standard for online delivery mm-hmm. uh, but also you know running in tandem that is using social media platforms using search engine optimization using all the things that journalists now need all those skills they need in order to, to get their heads uh, you know there's lots of people in my generation complain about uh, how that has altered the way that journalists operate and, and, and that you know people are looking for clicks and clickbait yeah. rather than for the actual story and that's not resolved. I'm not going to resolve it today, but you know, we, we do we do work hard at just ensuring that uh, uh, the students understand and know how to do that. You mentioned when you first started working in regional titles, your title was selling forty thousand copies a week, which is incredible numbers. But if larger nationwide titles are struggling, what's the future for smaller regional titles? Well, that's a really good question because, uh, in actual fact, the. Local newspaper journalism has uh, had a, has has mixed fortunes in the last twenty years. Mm. That newspaper that I talked about is now entirely online, for example. So it's gone in its uh, in its paper function. So yeah, under attack from uh, the social media giants who have uh, who have replaced the kind of like fundamental things that they did. You know, uh, what what made local newspapers a success was the, the the advertising and the classifieds and the wish to know what was going on in your community so it's problematic but there is there are success stories out there so you know the press and journal for example uh in aberdeenshire uh, in aberdeen is, is, is has a really healthy circulation compared to say the scotsman or the herald and it's you know it's based 
you know, as a city newspaper, but also as a regional newspaper as well, covering the northeast. There, there, there are still some success stories out there. The, the Courier's doing well. The Glasgow newspapers, the Evening, the Evening Times, do, you know, and the Scotsman, uh, sorry, the Evening News, rather. Uh, they, they, too, are kind of still adhering to that kind of idea of community. So, so it's really difficult. What's happened is that there were lots of encroachments on local journalism and local newspapers. Uh, one by the BBC when they decided to go local, then the Guardian decided to go high, what they called hyper-local as well. And, you know, these were really damaging in the long term to, uh, to, to local journalism and therefore to local democracy because nobody in some of these towns is now uh, scrutinising what's going on in the local council or in the local courts, in the local sheriff court or magistrate's court in England. It's, you know, all that stuff is has been lost and it's to the detriment of, of, of the world. Meanwhile, people have turned to, to, to social media. So it's journalism's kind of responsibility to try and think about how they can get back into those communities and be part of those communities. Because the problem with social media is, while it generates uh, siloed and individual and, 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 and group things, it's not quite cracked the community things. But there are some good sort of like community online kind of uh, um, social media outputs now happening but it, it, it's a struggle for them it's a struggle for them to to get to get the reader to get past whatever the latest calamity that's befallen a car a kardashian you know <laughs> uh, to, to read their stuff but there are shoots there there are green shoots happening if, if we if we if we adhere to those principles of journalism and and, and recognize the role of good journalism within a community and as a human output and endeavor there's a chance that we might uh, might get through this. Is there a successful model that can bring together quality reporting with well-paid, secure jobs? Because I was looking, really one of the things I was looking at Ben was paywalls, and I was looking at mm -hmm. the Times and the Financial Times they've used them successfully. But the Sun had one, then removed it, and the Herald and the Scotsman they've flirted with them, kind of gone back and forwards. What's your views yeah. on that? Well, paywalls. Um, makes sense on one level, but then if people aren't actually going to buy it, that's, an, that's problematic uh, as well. Uh, but neither does it make sense to just give your stuff away free. I, I, I drove past a, 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 a Toyota garage the other day and I noticed that none of the cars had uh, please take away written on it. You know, and so we need to find some sensible way of getting uh, getting through that. It's, it's, it's really difficult to to know how to how to deal with this, uh, there's been such a disruption, such a power shift, and such a change that the, the industry is trying to catch up with it. There's quite a lot in America. There's a lot of interesting uh, in, in the United States at the moment uh, attempts at uh, creating local city-based journalism, really trying to take over the function. They, they had more of a tradition of the city newspaper in America than we had. We had local papers and then nationals, you know, some regionals. Uh, but there they have, you know, the idea of the city-based newspaper is really big. So there's quite a few, quite an interesting couple of kind of um, businesses, almost like uh, micro-businesses or social businesses trying to set up. Uh, the, the hardest thing is for them is to find funding to actually pay the journalists properly. Uh, so some of it's happening through uh, uh, philanthropic giving, which is fine because there are issues around, you know, ownership and, and, and the economics of, uh, mm -hmm. of journalism. But it's kind of like straightforward, straight up and down ownership, like the news corporation 
different from the, the needs of if you, if you, of somebody who's you know just simply giving you the money as a as a philanthropic kind of giving. So there's the there, there, there's still that relationship. It's still problematic that relationship between management ownership and and freedom of expression in terms of what the journalists do. But there's there are some there are some signs that America seems to be taking this much more seriously. But they have a better kind of like not better. They have a system that's more suited to being able to do that within the the realms of say a, say a city. The number of newspapers that were closing down in American cities was really hemorrhaging in the in, in, the, in the early 2000s for over the last 20 years. So it's an attempt to try and rebuild that um, through online online work. Whether or not it works, we've yet to see. But you know, there are there are good reports coming out that uh, communities are engaging with this and uh, and. And that the journalism is again focused on the community and focused on people. You think there'll ever come a point when we'll no longer have printed newspapers and every news article will be online? No, I think there's still a place for print. Print's just going to change uh, enormously. It's very hard. You know, I, I still love print. You know, my love affair with newspapers started when I was a, a newspaper delivery boy <laughs> a long time ago when I was when I was you know when I was twelve or thirteen or whatever. And, and a lot of people still enjoy it. I think there are a few models out there that show that it can still work. It was, I, was, I was sad to see that Q magazine printed its last copy a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, used to buy that. Ago. Yeah, um, but if you look at, uh, if you change the model, uh, you can, it's possible it could work. So a great example is the Private Eye magazine, which is ostensibly a satirical magazine, but also there's lots of fantastic journalism in there. Once you get past the cartoons and the, and, and the rest of it, you actually go towards the back of the book, the book being the back of the magazine and newspaper talk. If you actually go towards the back, there's really serious heavyweight journalism in there, which is not time sensitive in that sense. And so you can, you get, their circulation is actually going up. So in the last uh, five or six years, the private eye circulation has, has actually bucked the trend. So I think what they do is a good template for, um, for the printed press, and that is, to go for quality, go in depth, and don't go for the stuff that's here and gone. You know, uh, actually, quality, investigative journalism, and thoughtful journalism. There is, there is, there is place for that. There is, there is room. So no, we won't see. I don't believe an end of all printed journalism and newspapers. We'll see that they look very differently. They'll look like very different products in the uh, in, in the next decade. Ben, that was brilliant. Thank you very much for taking the time out to talk to me. I really, really enjoyed that. Thank you. Do you know what? I enjoyed it too, Craig. It was great fun. Uh, and thanks for having me. No, a pleasure is all mine. Pleasure is all mine, Ben. And I'd also like to thank everyone for listening to today's episode. And hope you'll join us again soon when we'll be talking to another member of staff from Glasgow Caledonian University. In the meantime, please subscribe to this podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us from make sure you give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Until then, I've been Craig Telfer, and this has been The Common Good Podcast.